Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to a new episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. So the Blues traveled to Greece this week to dominate in a match where the scoreline couldn't contrast their performance enough. We walked away with a 1-0 win in Thessaloniki, I think I pronounced that right, despite fielding a strong lineup. Of course, all good things have to come to an end, and unfortunately for us, later in the week, we drew 0-0 to a decent West Ham side who honestly could have put us away. Is Sarri at fault for the lack of rotation? Did we really need to play that strong of a lineup in Greece? Is the squad too reliant on the skill of Eden Hazard? And lastly, what do we do with poor N'Golo, who seems to be the scapegoat of the week for the keyboard warriors? All this and much more on this week's episode. But before we get started, I'd like to introduce Andres from the Star Spangled Banners Blue hey. Podcast. <laughs> top Chelsea fan and very informative footballing eyes. So cheers, top, Andres. Top notch lad. Top notch lad. Overall, Zach, Sam, thank you guys so much for the invite. Uh, been a Chelsea fan for as long as I can think. Uh, I just love talking Chelsea. You can ask my friends and the group me's and whatnot. So, love to to be part of the show and uh, can't wait to get started. Awesome. So, I mean, no Roman's Empire is complete without the guile and the charm of Sam Bagrazade. So, how hey. you doing, Sam? Uh, you like that intro? Yeah, I mean that's a. Those are some nice words, man. Um, I thought it was clever. I had to bust I, out the dictionary. I got, I got, I got to, I got to admit, I'm pretty pissed off. Not, not for dropping points, but for just anyone to disrespect N'Golo Conte, more or less Chelsea fans, it gets gets my blood boiling, man. Yeah, I, 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 the hands off. Okay, that's that's the one point. That's the one guy who you can't say anything about, or else I'm gonna get really offended. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, fuck everyone that talks shit about Angolo. Facts. Turn yeah. off the podcast right now because we're going to be defending him all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's if a fair, yeah, if, that's if, a fair warning. If you're talking, if, if if you're one of those guys talking shit, then yeah, stop stop listening right now. If, you, if you're one of those guys talking shit, you just don't watch Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, delete your Twitter. Do all that, please. Um, yeah. yeah. So go back to the, let's get in. Uh, let's get into this game real quick. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna run through the lineup because we did. As you uh, pointed out earlier, we did the the, the, the PAOK game, right? Right, yeah. Uh, we yeah. we uh, we did field a pretty strong lineup. Uh, back line, oh, Kepa and goal. Back line of Marcos Alonso, Christensen, Rudiger, and Zapacosta. Uh, midfield from uh, of Barkley, Jorginho, Conte, and uh, front three of William, Morata, and Pedro. Um, so we got to see that William and Pedro winger lineup that you know. We talked about last week that we can rely on. Um, they did play really well together, uh, but I think the, the the third man in that front line is the main talking point of this game. Um, that's Alvaro Morata. Seven shots registered, and I think that was all in the first half, right? Or six shots in the first half. It was like Z- five in the first. Zero, zero, zero on target. On target? <laughs> zero on target, man. I mean, his link-up play was decent, but you know, just the just the story of Alvaro Alvaro's career on on Chelsea he, his lack of final product just made everything else useless uh just typical i mean i am starting to feel bad for him to be completely honest um just the way he, he the way he plays with such such poor confidence um and i think that this match was a perfect opportunity for him to you know bang in a couple goals get his confidence up get himself in a good form you know especially with the Dirty pub side like pay okay. I mean, Got Zach, it. what gives? What's what's going on, man? 
I mean, I, I guess the main talking point is just that complete lack of confidence. And, and it got worse as the game went on. I mean, you look at some of those opportunities, especially in the first half, and any top striker puts away um, at least one or two of those chances. I mean, I think it's fair to say he could have had a half trick, hat trick by halftime. But, you know, it, it's, it's becoming unacceptable. You know, he's had two managers who are known to improve players, and he's regressed under both of them. And, I mean, I tweeted during the game that I lost faith in him, and I thought, you know, it was irrational at the time, but after sleeping on it, I, I, I kind of stand by it. And, you know, I'm just going to go out there and say, as long as he's wearing the shirt, I'm going to support him. Whether I, whether or not I think he's good enough for Chelsea and for the Premier League is just a completely other story. So, um, Andres, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, your take on, on Morata's performances as of late. Yeah. So, uh, first off, I'm, I think we're completely out of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? excuses for him there's no back pain there's no playing defensive we're playing under sorry which is supposed to be you know the most fruitful offense out there ask Iguain in his time in Napoli but uh tactically I just think that you know Murat does more of the running through the channels looking for that through ball and and he's not exactly a poacher but at the same time he's not the kind of guy that's going to drop into midfield to open up space for someone else um sadly I I think January is going to be the time we look at another forwarding option as much as Sari says, you know, I have uh, Giroud to play those teams that sit back and then sorry for the others. I, I mean, Morata for the others. I just don't I just don't see it getting any better for him. Yeah, you know, it's it's frustrating because he did hit the ground running last season. I mean, what was it? Nine goals by December, which is mm-hmm. not bad for your first season in the Premier League. But it, he just seems like. He just seems like he's not willing to take responsibility for his own play. And I just feel like he's in his head. He's blaming everyone else but himself. But also something I noticed in this game, too, was I think that his mentality going into the game was not just I need to play well, but I need to score a goal. So when you see that seven shots, zero on target figure and you watch the way he played, he tried forcing a lot of shots that really, you know, weren't weren't really kind of shots that he he takes normally or sh- like shots that he he scores off of normally he was forcing I mean, a lot of things that you know i mean obviously i feel like any prototypical striker should be able to score a couple of those but i think he's just he, he's thinking too fast he's thinking okay like i, I got i gotta put it in the net so i mean i think that just it, it, it it's it's not you know he's not playing the way that he should be i, th- I think the more interesting question is you know the there was an instance in the game, I think it was a 2v1, where, where he had Willian off to his left, and he easily could have laid it off to Willian, who was in yep. on goal. And he just opted to shoot it. And he didn't even shoot it, actually. I think he just dribbled himself into pressure and wound up losing the ball. And mm-hmm. that, Do you think that the team is starting to get frustrated with the way he's playing? Because it, it's different to Giroud, who... I mean, if Giroud, Giroud was never the type of striker that's going to go in and bag 15, 20 goals a season, but he does everything else really well. Yeah, like Giroud can score zero goals this year, and I think that he'll have a better year than Morata, to be completely honest. <laughs> I completely honest. agree. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, I think the the tape shows it uh, at the end of the West Ham game when William took that awful shot. He had Morata right there to square, and he didn't. He didn't mm-hmm. give it to Morata. I think yeah. the trust is gone. Yeah, why, why would he trust him? Right. <laughs> Good point. I mean, Morata's the kind of player that if his first two shots aren't testing the keeper or going in, his head goes instantly down. And that's where his mentality just takes him to a subpar level. And mm-hmm. the rest of the game, he's unless something goes his way, he's not coming back from it. He's not the kind of guy to bring himself up from the ground and 
and literally he falls a lot, but he, he's just not going to be the guy to, to change his game 10 minutes after a bad run. It's mm-hmm. just not getting better if it started off poorly. But, but, but to be fair, I mean, we, we have been spoiled with strikers. And me and Sam have mentioned this before on the podcast. I mean, in the last 15 or 20 years, we've had great strikers in the squad. But at the same time, they've also been leaders, maybe not vocally, Diego Costa wasn't a vocal leader, but he was a leader with his play. I mean, there was never a game where he went out there and ever dropped his head or ever dropped his shoulders. Or, right. or Sure, he was pouting here and there, but he'd get right back up on his feet and he'd bundle the center back over. And you just don't see that from Morata. I want to see... I want to see him get nasty. I want to see him dig in and find other ways to impact the game. And he's just not doing that. So, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to keep ranting if I don't yeah. stop. <laughs> you know, it's, Marata, just, it's just gotten to the point where it's it, it's ridiculous. Marata, yeah, it's not even about the goal output. It's just oozing confidence versus visibly lacking it. Drogba was never a 30-plus goal striker. But you mm. could trust him to make the big goal happen Absolutely. or a goal happen out of nowhere. Costa scored a little bit more, but you know this the season under Conte, the first one where we won 13 in a row, he created goals out of nothing. Like yeah. he was responsible for like 15 yeah. points. He that won, season. yeah, he won, he won games for us. <laughs> Single handedly, I, I can think of that West Brom game in December where he stole the ball on the goal line and scored with yeah, no angle. Like right. I can never see Morata doing. I don't that. even, I don't even think we had a shot on goal that game, did we? Up until that <laughs> point. Right. It, it's just it's just one of those things where you don't see Morata creating a chance for Chelsea. He's waiting for the easy tap in and, and when his head's down, I don't even know if he can kick that in. Yeah. I mean, shame on us for thinking that, you know, he was going to be a good uh, uh, a good plan B after losing out on Lukaku. Hey, you know, at least shame on me. Morata is not my guy. That's for sure. But Zach, you, know, you know who is my guy, though? Uh, let me th- let me take a wild guess. You know you know who my guy is. Everyone's it's Ross Barkley. Everyone's list who listens to us knows who my guy is. Ross Barkley gets the start. Uh, th- this he had a, an amazing amazing outing. He assisted Williams' goal with a you know, really powerful run up the middle, laying it off to Williams in space. Um, just his stats: ninety six pass, ninety six percent pass completion rate. Uh, that's sixty six out of sixty nine passes. Nice. Uh, five key passes, one assist, uh, only dispossessed once. I think Sari really f- seems to fancy him, and he's he's showing why with his recent performances. Why do you think he, he's he's doing that? Why do you? Well, sorry, <laughs> what do you think he's doing that keeps getting him selected? I think it's uh, I think it's simple. I mean, he's had more time to work with Sari. I mean, he didn't really have the World Cup like Ruben did. Um, the second Sari came in his very first training session, Ross Barkley was there. So I just think that Sari seems to trust them just because they have, they have longevity that they've have, they have a stronger bond. I mean, when you spend time with a manager, that's what happens. But, you know, at first we were talking about how, you know, he, how he never really played in a midfield three and how we, we were kind of undecided as to how he would do with a team that's uh possession based and a system that's possession based. But I mean, look, 96% pass completion rate. We dominated possession that game. He hardly gave the ball away. His physicality looks amazing. He looks like he's in great shape. He's shrugging off defenders. He's making powerful runs. Big lag, um, for sure. And, and yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's very similar to Ruben because we know Ruben could offer that, um, and we knew Ross Barkley offered that too at Everton as well. But it was always his fitness, which was, um, which was his his main issue basically. But you know, he's just getting comfortable in a position that he that he was never originally too familiar with. And sorry, he's done a really good job at making him feel comfortable playing in that midfield three. And I mean, the only real criticism I have so far is his goal output. 
because that's the one thing our squad's missing besides goals up goals from the number nine position is goals from the midfield. Um, and, and I think he could be that guy. He can be that Lampard esque late runner into the box. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, we saw we Great saw it at West Ham. <laughs> we saw it at West Ham. I mean, Fabianski made a ridiculous save. Um, but yep. you know, he had a great pop from outside the box, and yeah, yeah. you know, if if he could provide goal scoring output, I think he could even give Kovacic a run for his money because he offers something completely different from anyone else in the squad. What are your, and what, are your what thoughts? I was yeah. gonna say. Yeah, so my big thing, obviously, he had the full summer with Sari, and I think early on, obviously, the Arsenal game was was not his best, but I think he's now more comfortable with what's expected of him. Uh, I thought he 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 makes these unique runs where he kind of peels off to the sides and then instantly darts to these splitting passes that Jorginho finds him in uh, to kind of break the lines quickly. And then he's gone. He's, he's going full speed at the other team. And and that's what he's good at uh, at Everton. That was his greatest strength when he's dribbling at the defense. And the other thing is that he does have a shot from range. He is a little bit more direct than Kovacic and even Jorginho where they might find one too many passes and I think that's where he's going to succeed for us to break down those teams that do park the bus with 10 men behind the ball. Uh, like you guys mentioned, he had that beautiful shot that on any other day, the keeper doesn't stop. So I'm excited to see Barkley continue to gain his confidence. Obviously, he's confident in his body again. He's not really worried about his knee as much. And if he keeps up kind of what he did at PAOK or Pauk or, or however you say it, uh, Ruben's going to have a little bit of a a struggle to break into this side. See, like when I'm when I'm thinking about the best eleven, I don't necessarily think Ross Barkley is in that right now. But I do think that what Ross Barkley does complements Jorginho a little bit better than what Kovacic does because Kovacic and Jorginho, I think they have a, a more of a similar play style, and the things that Jorginho doesn't do well, Ross Barkley does very well. So. When when I'm thinking about this best eleven and what I mean that's just the the midfield three, I do really like this Ross Barkley and Jorginho pairing with uh with N'Golo Conte, of course. Yeah, it just it, just just to go off of that, one last point. I think the I think the word we're all looking for is balance. You know, mm, with yeah. Kovacic in there. I mean, even Kovacic admitted uh, when he first came here, he you know he said. You know, I've never been one to score a lot of goals, and that's something I want to improve on this year. And and, and that's something Ross Barkley could provide. You know, Kovacic is obviously he's a tidy passer, he's a dribbler, he's great in small spaces. But in for the Premier League, I just think Ross Barkley might be a little bit better suited um, from the physicality aspect and from the directness of his play. Just just to play devil's advocate a little bit, um, the way I see Kovacic starting in our midfield three with Jorginho and Conte, I, I like to think of what Real Madrid has going on in their midfield three, where Conte and Casemiro play kind of like the the destroyers. Then you have two guys who can orchestrate uh, the transition in the offense in Kroos and Modric. So I get mm-hmm. that, you know, Barkley can bring those other aspects that Jorginho doesn't. But in games where maybe they try to completely block Jorginho out of the game, it is important to have that other guy that can find that killer pass or, or that can get between the lines. And I think that's what Kovacic will bring to the table. And in terms of goals, I mean, Madrid doesn't depend on Kroos and Modric to score 10 goals each. I don't even think they've each scored five goals in the past three seasons individually. So uh, I know that we're Chelsea, not Real Madrid, but it's one of those things where where maybe that direct, maybe it's that assist to the assist that is going to be what's key for those two guys in our midfield three. Yeah, it seemed, it's, it, it, it 
Sorry's definitely more keen on those type of players as opposed to the more direct players like Ross Barkley. But um, no, no, it, it, it's a good point. And I mean, even if you look at Barca, I mean, Iniesta really never scored all too much um, playing in a midfield three with Busquets and, and Rakitic. I mean, Rakitic, Rakitic chips in every now and then. But it, you look at all the big sides, and that's Europe in general. Um, you know, for European competition, I take Kovacic every single time just because, you know, he's a, he's he's more decorated. He's an international. He, he went deep in the World Cup. He has that big game experience. But, I mean, in terms of the Premier League, Ross Barkley does understand – you know, going to Stoke on a Wednesday night. I know it's a cliche saying, um, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not hating on Kovacic at all, but um, I just think Sarri should be a little bit less or a little bit more willing to rotate the side and bring Barkley on, maybe even a little bit earlier in matches. Maybe one thing that bothered me, I know we're going to get into it later, but it's the West Ham match. Why did he keep N'Golo Conte on the field for so long when yeah. he could have brought on a guy like Ross Barkley on for Conte instead of Kovacic, but, or even a Cesc Fabregas just to orchestrate things. But yeah, let's, just, get just, let's just make this last talking point on this match, and we'll move on to the West Ham. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about Fabregas because this was the first first uh, viewing of Fabregas this season. Came on in the 65th minute for Jorginho. Um, he came on, he looked lively. Um, looks like he can be a great cover for Jorginho in the same role. Uh, I mean, I really miss the man. Uh, I know me and him had our differences last last season, <laughs> but um, I've I've come to understand that it, it it wasn't his fault. It was more about the people around him and the position that he was forced to play. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on Sesk? I'm excited to have him back. I think he's mm-hmm. he's uh, re rejuvenated, just like Pedro, to be under a manager that's going to play to his strengths. Um, and I see him trying, I see his role this year as either a, a Jorginho replacement on the lower league and lower side games, but also to play alongside him, perhaps kind of like how he did on his first season under Conte when he would come in as a super sub to find that last pass that we couldn't find in the previous 60 minutes. Uh, his vision is unreal. Obviously he's not very mobile, but in this system, he doesn't have to cover much ground. So I'm excited to have Sesk back. I mean, Sami hit the nail on the head. Good God, I missed him. Um, when he came on, some of the passes he were playing, he was playing was just ridiculous. I mean, he seems to find that pass that nobody else on the pitch could find. I mean, even when he came in um, for Jorginho, those are some passes that I can't see Jorginho making. Um, obviously, Jorginho is more of a short passer. Sesk loves to play that long clipped ball into space, but it's it's just going to be really interesting to see how Sari will tailor him into the squad as the season goes on. Um, because he has he's had this reluctance to to drop Jorginho from us from the side, you know, when the squad has been needing rotation. Um, but maybe as the season goes on and if Cesc could stay healthy, that's definitely an option moving forward. I mean, we know what he's capable of. And Cesc has always been one of those players that has been at his best in an attacking possession side. I mean, you just look at his days with Arsenal. I mean, what, what was he? I think it was 17 or 18 when he when he put on the captain's armband for the first time. Um, and, and, you know, obviously at Barcelona, things didn't go too well for him because Iniesta, uh, was his competition, which is not very easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, as the season goes on, it's just going to be really interesting to see how sorry embeds him into the side. Will he stay as a number six? I think so, but you know, I, I won't be surprised to see sorry also play him as a number 10, a little bit higher up the pitch in that Kovacic role, just to combine with Hazard and get him a little bit closer to the striker. All right. Any final thoughts on the match? Or uh, you guys ready to move on to West Ham? 
One last thing. PAOK is a fucking pub side, and they're a joke. And that guy that tried to wow. square up with Rudiger does not know what he is getting into. Oh, you mean Dollar Tree version of Salah? Yeah, that guy had no idea. <laughs> that guy had no idea what he was getting himself into. Oh, I man. would not mess with Rudiger. That's the one the guy I would stay away I'd from. I'd pay yeah, to see that fight. You guys what ask fight? it. it, it was <laughs> yeah. Sheesh. Uh, so let's get into this uh, Chelsea West Ham game. I mean, I had to wake up at five thirty in the morning for this match, and I, I think even the players were more tired than I was. Um, this was not. Yeah. This was very that. underwhelming. Probably the most. I mean, obviously the most underwhelming performance of the season. First first match where we drop points. Um, let me go through this lineup real quick. Kepa in goal. Marcos Alonso, David Luiz, uh, Rudiger, and Aspi in that back line. Kovacic, Jorginho, Conte at the midfield, and a front three of Hazard, Giroud, and Willian. So uh, I already said the tired legs were obvious. It showed with our lack of bite in the attack. Uh, I know it ended nil-nil, but who do you think should have won this game? Should, should Does Chelsea deserve to win this game, or really did West Ham deserve to win it? No way. I mean, look, it, it, <laughs> even even the commentary was saying if Arnautovic was playing, I mean, we would have lost for sure. Damn, it, that's... Mikel Antonio, he made some really nice runs, but has absolutely zero finishing product. Actually, the only finishing product he has is just smacking the ball with his laces as hard as he could 15 <laughs> feet over the crossbar. But it was lethargic. It was boring. It was toothless. Um, and you know, at the same time, we have to give credit where credit's due. I thought West Ham were very good. Um, it, it was interesting to see how Pellegrini approached the game. Um, mainly sit behind the ball and just make these two blocks of four and, and, and make it really difficult to break them down. They were actually, they were, they press us in the midfield and in those half spaces. And, um, we struggled because of it. Jorginho was giving the ball away left and right. Um, Kovacic had to dribble out of pressure, uh, more times than he should have. Um, and, and th- they also, I think it's an interesting point. They also kind of forgot about N'Golo Conte. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but just kind of leaving him in space. I, I don't think their priority was to necessarily mark him up. It was more to nullify, uh, Kovacic and Jorginho because obviously, you know, they keep our team ticking, but they, they did an excellent job in closing down the ball and, you know, if you ask me, I honestly think West Ham should have won the game. I think we were fortunate to get out nil-nil. Again, nil-nil, um, five games unbeaten, actually six games unbeaten. It's not the worst start ever. I think Chelsea fans are overreacting. Uh, the, the squad yeah. was just tired, as you said. For sure. I, I want to give credit to Pellegrini for sure. He mentioned after the game that his main priority was to completely block out the left side of our attack. And going into the game, I was thinking, oh, man, Hazard versus Zabaleta. Uh, is it Zabaleta? Yeah, Zabaleta. I was like, this is perfect. He loves playing that guy. But Zabaleta had Hazard's number. You mentioned Kovacic always had to take a step backwards before going forwards. And everyone's – we'll get to the, to the N'Golo Kante hate. But the reason why he made it so far forward is because they were focused on the left. They knew that on the right, William, Kante, and Aspie are not going to be the guys that are going to – you know, bring in the flair and, and cause the trouble. Um, the one thing that I think Sarri could have done with the players he did choose to have on the field was switching William and Hazard's wings earlier. Once we did that in like minute 72 when they were flip-flopping every kind of possession, that's when Chelsea kind of came to life because once Hazard went to the right, West Ham didn't know what to do. It was like, oh, crap, he's on the right side. We didn't prepare for this. 
So I kind of I, I think West Ham played it completely to right. But I also think sorry could have found a solution to this game, much like the Newcastle game where we scored late. So do you think I mean, from what you said, would would you say that this result is on sorry? Um, I think so. You guys both, and I agree, West Ham could have won this game. The one thing is that the one stat that I actually like to pay attention to, and I've recently understood it more, is the expected goals stat, which says that for the clearest chances that each team produced, the game actually should have ended 2-1 Chelsea. So give Yarmolenko the header, and then Chelsea would have scored either the Morata chip or, or the Conte header or the Conte shot or the Willian shot at the end. So the, the solution could have been there on the field, and I, and I do want to place some blame on Sari for not noticing that freeing up Willian and Hazard by letting them switch freely was as simple as that rather than keeping them kind of locked into their respective wing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Sari is to blame. Um, he should have rotated the squad more in Greece, and it all goes back to Greece. We we predicted on the podcast uh, last week that we would see at least seven or eight changes in a starting eleven, and there was just no reason why we should have had half the players out there that we did. I mean, uh, uh, Jorginho is Sari's guy, so it was kind of expected that Jorginho was going to start that game. I didn't think he was going to play at all in the second half because it should have been three or four nil by halftime. Um, he shouldn't have played Conte the full ninety. Um, he shouldn't have played Alonso the full ninety. All and all those players I just mentioned looked exhausted at the end of the West Ham game so even um, Rudiger came out injured with a groin and and, and yeah. groin injuries are usually because you're exhausted so yeah. yeah completely agree yeah and you know another thing you said that I think is really interesting um you know obviously last game no Eden I mean the, the PAOK game no Eden Hazard we really struggled to score and um you know West Ham taking taking away our left side trying to you know neutralized Eden Hazard for as long, you know, as long as he stayed on the left side. I really feel that Chelsea is a little bit too reliant on him to score. Um, and we know he does have days like, you know, this where he does struggle to impact the match for long spells, but it seems like those are the matches that we lose and we need him to play well in order to win. So, I mean, who needs to step up? Are we too reliant on him? I think it's underplayed how much we missed Pedro. And uh, one thing that Pedro does, and sometimes it annoys me, is that he sometimes runs with no purpose, but he opens up so much space. Like if we go back to Hazard's hat trick against Cardiff, he scored some of those goals from the right side. So it's one of those things where where Pedro is, when it seems like aimlessly running, there's purpose behind that. So it's one of those things where I think Willian, much like Hazard, waits for the ball to come to him and then makes the move rather than making the move better his teammates. So I do want to place some blame on Hazard, but I think Pedro not being there and the way just William likes to play on his own is is a big factor as well. Yeah, it, it's a great point bringing up Pedro because I think if Pedro got the same chance William did at the end of that game, it's in the back of the net. Um, he uses his left foot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You know, William could only play with his right foot and playing him out on the right-hand side. We've talked about it before. That's not his strongest position. He's better coming off of the left, cutting inside to his right. Whereas Pedro is a little bit more, uh, I don't know if ambidextrous is the right word, but, you know, he's better with his left foot. Um, he likes to cut inside with the left foot. He likes to beat defenders 1v1 with on his right. He could do all. He could do it all. 
Um, and I just think having Eden Hazard and Willian in the same side um, where both players kind of do the same thing uh, doesn't really benefit us when we don't have a striker that could score goals. It's that simple. Yeah, like I said, even when they did switch, when, you know, Hazard's going to be comfortable wherever he goes. He's he's that level player. He's world class. But but Willian was actually giving Zabaleta nightmares. And, and that's the main thing that I could that I just couldn't stop noticing. It was just. Having that switch been earlier, I think we could have gotten more out of the game because Williams' goal last week also came from being on the left side, cutting it in and taking a shot with his right foot. So I, I think Sari needs to give those front three guys a little bit more freedom rather than locking them down to their respective wings because that's when William and Hazard do work better together. I think I think the best way to unlock that would be to play Pedro as a false nine maybe. You know, we can't score goals. And right now, Pedro's our best natural finisher in the squad. Um, we, we, I mean, we bring it up a lot, but every other Chelsea podcast as well, they always bring up the whole Dries Mertens debate and what Sarri was able to do with Dries Mertens, who was a natural winger, was great at playing off the ball and kind of moving him into that false nine role and scoring 25 goals a season. I, I don't think Pedro could score 25 goals a season, but I think he could definitely be serviceable in terms of goal scoring, playing as a false nine. And it will also bring a lot more fluidity to the front line. Like you said, we need to find a way to, to make that front three more fluid and more free-flowing. And maybe having Giroud in there who doesn't run the channels, who does clog up the middle, it impacts the fluidity of that front three. Um, and and, and Murata is out there, and he doesn't really do anything nowadays. So... Um, maybe sliding Pedro in there, maybe Hazard as a false nine. I'd prefer to have Hazard out on the left and Pedro as a false nine. Is it something we're going to see soon? Um, I, I definitely hope so because right now the team needs goals and, and we're just way too over-reliant on Eden Hazard. And by the way, all this, all this hate over Eden Hazard, we were talking after the first five games how there's a chance that he could become the top goal scorer this season. And how he how now he's taking the next step and he's building on his performances in the World Cup. The man had one bad game. He's human. He's allowed to have one bad game. This isn't France where he's going to score three or four goals every game and just absolutely dominate night in and night out. This is a Premier League. This is the most competitive league in the world, whether you like it or not. So, you know, he, he we need we need to cut him some slack. He's entitled to have an off day, but when he has that off day, the rest of the team needs to step up. And that was a problem in West against West Ham. We just had nobody else that was stepping up. It honestly looked like Kovacic was on his own um, for much of the first half. Uh, Giroud was a bystander. He had no impact on the game. And like you said, William really didn't get the wheels turning until he moved out to that left-hand side. So just something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. And, you know, for those people talking shit about Eden Hazard, just – fuck off with that because these are the same people that last week were were all over him so yeah and that's the most you know we're the Chelsea fan base is reactionary to like a fault and it's so obnoxious and and I I don't know if you guys mind me now turning over to the Conte side of the conversation of this game but Mm -hmm. um yeah Eden he's gonna bounce back I'm not worried about him but now people are saying Conte needs to be dropped because he's not playing in the DM role and to those people, I say, listen, the guy had three days with Sari before the season started, for one. And two, it's it also has to do with how Sari uses Jorginho in the system. Kovacic and Conte are supposed to provide high pressure and the defensive kind of output that lets Jorginho do his thing. So bringing, switching Jorginho and Conte is only going to make Jorginho look human and also limit Conte so yes he didn't score three times today but 
if we're depending on Conte to be our goal scoring savior, we're doing something wrong. Uh, Allen at Napoli was awful his first season with with Sarri, and it wasn't until the end of season, his second season there, that he was actually putting in the goals. So give it time. It's been six games. It's a new system compared to just waiting for them to attack you and Conte coming to the rescue. It's it's different. Trust me with an I say like Liverpool, these other teams that try to play free flowing offense with Kovacic and Conte pressuring that high up, you're going to be thanking us or sorry for putting Conte in that position next weekend. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. it's it's just there's no this isn't Barcelona where Busquets sits behind Xavi and Iniesta. They weren't pressing that high. It's it's different. And so to them, I just say you need to really understand what he's trying to get done with these guys in this quick high press system to see why Conte's up that high. Um, he's not going to be the f- most forward midfielder in every single game. It just happened to be that way, the way West Ham defended against us. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. It's a work in progress. It's It's been six games. So we can't expect all of these guys to just, you know, oh, well, we won five games on the spin. Now we're going to win the league. It's not like that. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to lose matches that we shouldn't have lost. We're going to drop points. And in this match, I think we were fortunate enough to only drop two points as opposed to three. But, I mean, for good God, N'Golo Conte is probably, if not the most important player on our team. And me and Sam have talked about it before. Hazard's the most talented, but Conte is the most important, without a doubt. Um, Once this work in progress does start to get ticking, and I'd probably give it up until December, January, once we'll see, you know, how this midfield three is supposed to work, but dropping in Golo just is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in, in, in probably my whole lifetime of being a Chelsea fan. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you really, <laughs> when, when you really think about it, dropping in Golo Conte, I mean, he's been our best player the last two seasons. He's been the, he is the best defensive midfielder in the world. There's, made the FIFA pro 11 today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's nonsense. He's it. He made the same team as guys like Mbappe and Cristiano and Messi and Eden Hazard. But still, you know, it's it's just so ridiculous to me that people are hopping all over him and getting on top of him for something that we know he's not capable of scoring 10, 15 goals a season. You know, we know that his final ball is not the greatest, but that's not him. And, and I feel like a lot of this negativity uh, relates to Cesc Fabregas's negativity from last season, as Sam touched on earlier. You know, we got on Fabregas last year for not um, – for being a terrible defender. Well, the guy's playing in a midfield too. So how is he supposed to cover that much ground? I mean, N'Golo Conte did all of his running for him. Is there a quick solution? Maybe. Um, but I don't think Sarri is going to change up his system. He's pretty wedded to the 4-3-3 the way it is. I mean, if it was up to me, I might drop N'Golo back to, next to Jorginho um, just so he could provide that cover and free up Jorginho a little bit more um, in, in the attack. But again, even if we do push Jorginho up, like you said, he's going to look more human. He doesn't score goals either. So swapping them really doesn't make all too much sense. The only real solution might be to play uh, to switch Conte and Kovacic um, and have Conte kind of cover for Eden Hazard, who we really don't want to, who yes. we really don't want to track back. Completely and have Kovacic agree. on the other side working with Pedro, finding him in those little pockets of space. So... I mean, this is something that we could look for. Um, I think I think Sari will be more inclined to do that as opposed to as opposed to dropping Conte back. I don't think dropping Conte from the side is even an option. Yeah, um, and, and I, I think I, it's fucking ridiculous. And I think that quick the quick fix is is worse for the long term because it just takes away precious time for Agolo to you know further adjust in this role. And it's not like we're you know 
we're we're in desperate time right now. I mean, we're undefeated through five five matches, sitting you know near the top of the table. So it's not like we need a quick fix right now or our season's in trouble. You know, we're playing we're playing just fine within and and this is with one of our best players, if you know our most important player, struggling a little bit. So I mean, it's just scary to think for other teams. Once Angolo Conte becomes accustomed to this new this new role, and you know, you really see Sari Ball in this system at you know working on on firing on all cylinders at you know the highest performance. It's going to be a deadly team, man. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm, I cannot wait. Angolo is definitely capable. I I think everyone's just overreacting. If he puts one of those headers in, everyone's thinking Angolo is going to score 15 goals this season. Like I said, <laughs> we're reactionary to to a detriment, uh-huh. and it's again. We were undefeated, unbeaten, like perfect record. We have to remember that expectations going into the season was to maybe break into the top four. The fact that we're already competing with Liverpool and City to try to win the league just should just be like, man, okay, we are, have that potential. That doesn't mean we're going to be able to pull that every single week just yet. It's it's a project. People are saying, oh, well, sorry, get time. I trust me, like, oh, I guess not trust me. I don't know what Roman is thinking, but <laughs> Roman finally has that stylish coach that can get results that he's wanted since he tried getting pep for like the past 10 years. I think mm-hmm. he, for once we're going to let sorry get his time. And I think February will be a good time to judge this team because I really do think a new striker is going to come in in January. And when we talked about it right when we got Kovacic and and, and me and Sam discussed how, you know, a midfield three of, of Kovacic, Jorginho and N'Golo Kante might be one of the top three midfield midfield threes in Europe. I don't think that's far fetched at all. And yeah. I think, like you said, in February, we'll we'll start to see that there's I have absolutely no doubt in my mind. And whoever's listening could take their word for it. N'Golo Kante will come good. He is that good of a player he's a generational talent we just need to give him time to get used to the system this is something completely new to him instead of being that last line of defense in the midfield shielding the back four or back three he's higher up the pitch he's winning the ball higher up the pitch in the attacking third and you know it's it takes time we're six matches in so chill the fuck out it it just seems it's it's so ridiculous to me it gets me all riled up because this is a guy who everybody fell in love with and I haven't heard one negative thing about him up until last weekend's performance. And you can't blame him. There's just It's just completely ridiculous. I'll put it easier here. Would you rather play Conte and have him miss a few shots or pull him and rely on David Luiz to actually be a solid defender? Defensive? No, 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 no. I like that. Yeah. No, 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 First no, no, no. choice. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, we're, no, we're notorious for calling out David Luiz, uh, for, you know, calling him out basically for – his lack of defensive awareness and you know he, he just has a switch in his head that just shuts off randomly at times during matches but on the ball he, he's ridiculous and i, I don't yeah. think we could say enough about that but still i mean dropping angolo just makes no sense because there's no other player that's a th- there's no other player that i see in our squad that could do what he does defensively but also contribute more offensively and i think that's the key it's finding that balance in the midfield and sorry's reluctant to drop him because he realizes that if i drop this guy we are going to be so open in the back Oh, and also, Andreas, when you're discussing uh, the, the t- top teams competing for the Premier League title, make sure you include uh, Watford in that discussion, okay? Because they're uh, <laughs> they're definitely they're they're that's the one team I'm scared of the most. I, I'm more worried about Wolves. They got a result <laughs> up front of both Manchester clubs, to be honest. Yeah, wow. That, uh, Spiritu Santu, or or however you say that manager's name, I'm 
I, I, I fear wolves. I, I have a soft spot <laughs> for them because they come up promotion. They're like, you know what? We are just as big as you guys and we're going to take it to you. So I, I, I'm kind of worried about playing wolves. That's <laughs> city Liverpool. We know what we're getting ourselves into wolves is going to, is, is bringing this confidence that I've never seen from a promoted side. And, and yeah. Any, any final thoughts on the game, Zach? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have three points written down here. So, I mean, I guess one, Andreas touched on it. We, we miss Pedro. Um, I think we would have won this game if we had a natural goal scorer on the pitch. Um, I think Sesk should have come on um, at some point in the match just because we were looking for that final pass. We were just one step away from scoring, and uh, Sesk really would have helped us. And my last point here is just Alonzo and Dave need to sit this week i mean they cannot play on wednesday they looked absolutely knackered and dave got rinsed by felipe anderson a few times and i could just see nightmares now of alonzo getting rinsed by sala um <laughs> against liverpool if he doesn't get a rest at midweek yeah um some things i want to take just tactically i i think we're still not seeing the full effect of sorry ball he plays a lot quicker and he mentioned that after the game that decisions have to come faster and it's a little bit more of a patience. You guys mentioned it. We play defense by keeping the ball. So instead of forcing that pass quicker, it's it's patience, uh, movement off the ball, but also quick decision making. So those things come with practice. Those can, things come with repetition. Uh, they'll come good. We'll be able to beat a, a team parking the bus when April rolls around. So learning learning opportunity for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into the speed round slash random news portion. Um for the new listeners, I'm just going to list off a couple topics or questions and uh, Zach and Andreas are going to give quick answers and their thoughts or feelings about what I'm saying. So first point, Ampadu signs a five-year extension with Chelsea. What are your guys' thoughts? Zach, um, it's great. Yeah, yeah, I guess I will just because, you know, I'm <laughs> the biggest Ampadu fanboy. Um, it, it, it's great news for the club. Um I think it's long overdue. I think it's he's well-deserving. I mean, he's already a Welsh international and tearing it up. Um, but my main concern is where is Callum Hudson-Odoi's extension? It's kind of worrying because the only real logical reason for him not signing is the lack of transparency from the club on his role in the first team. Um, I'm really scared that we might see another Ruben situation where we have a crown jewel um, in our youth system struggle for so long to get into that first team. But again, he's only 17 years old. It's still early days. Hopefully he does sign that extension. And I'll keep my answer brief. It's don't fuck this up. Uh, We've done it so (laughs) many times with young players. Ampadu has yet to leave on loan, which I think is amazing. Um, I think he plays midweek. I hope he plays midweek. He's got the talent. He's extremely composed. And the preseason showed how he was pointing people what to do in Sari's system. I, I can't wait for this guy to break into the eleven. And in terms of Callum Hudson Adoy, just just follow Ampadu's path. You guys are buddies. Don't 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 separate just now. <laughs> just I'd love to see that guy come in and and who knows if we need a solution at right wing. I mean, at some point or another, why not give the kid a shot? So Zach, you said you you you're an Ampadu guy, but I think the one guy who you love more than Ampadu, um, Gary Cahill. Some very disheartening. Yeah, a- he, some very disheartening news. Uh, Cahill stated that he would leave the club in January for first team football. You guys blame him? No way. I love the man and he's won everything and given everything and he's never given anything less than 110%. I mean, he's as professional as it gets and 
if he feels the move is right for him, then I, I wish him the best. I can't blame him. He's one of those old school guys that doesn't really care about picking up a paycheck um, as much as he cares about actually playing football. Yeah, for me, I, I think of that one Dark Knight quote where it says, like, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> and the way I think about it is just people love to Spot hate on, on. Cahill. I, I just want him uh, to, to be able to walk away on his terms. The man is a Champions League winner, Premier League winner, League Cup winner, FA Cup winner. He's won it all with us. So, yes, he's maybe past his prime, but people are quick to forget what he did when he first joined us back under, um, I guess it was back in 2011 in January. But, yeah, yeah. The, the point is he's won everything. He's been there through multiple coaches and managers that still chose him and they chose him for a reason. Just I it's it's I think he's he's doing the right move by by leaving now. Like I said, just do it before people forget the good that you have done for the club. So Cahill with a dark night, which I guess makes Zach Detective Gordon or Commissioner Gordon for always having his back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Definitely. <laughs> so uh Kovacic says he, he he could see himself playing for Chelsea next season. Should signing Kovacic be a priority for Chelsea next summer? Yes, yes, and yes. He has potential to be world-class. Um, the only real obstacle here is Florentino Perez because he is hard to negotiate with. Um, but f- fuck the price tag this summer. I say if you could get anything under $100 million, you go after him hard. But I-, I-, I think if one thing does hold us back besides Florentino Perez, it's our need for... A, a true number nine or somebody that could play yeah. the number nine role in sorry ball. That was so. my answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, it's simple. Um, I think there's a, there's some sort of gentleman's agreement where we will be able to buy him his goodbye to Real Madrid after he signed his loan deal. Sounds very permanent. This further quote so early into the season makes me think he's going to stay. Uh, the way I see it, we'll probably end up paying 70, 80 when he's probably more valued at 55 mil. Yeah. Um, I think you have to keep him after his last quotes. I would love to get a Kovacic jersey. I've been dying for a player like mm-hmm. this to be in Chelsea since his inter days. I, I think his potential is nowhere near what he's at right now because he's never been given the starting role. So I, I can only see this as a, as a great signing. If Morata did anything great for Chelsea, was recruiting this guy. So keep him, keep him, keep him. Uh, that uh, that good old Chelsea reactionary mindset where we see an Instagram post vaguely worded that and we automatically think oh there's a buyback clause he wants to say he he said goodbye so <laughs> that I was mean, his hey, goodbye <laughs> no it, it I, I was i was in the same i was in the same boat as you no worry i'm i'm, I'm in the same boat as you <laughs> uh it's, it's a little different than being welcome to chelsea it was like thank you madrid for all you did for me um buddy yeah. it's a one-year loan hey well what, what do you mean i'm, I'm interpreting <laughs> it, it i'm, like a goodbye I'm interpreting it in the way that makes me feel best okay so that's that's all I care Agreed. about. Uh, so Jorginho sets a, a new Premier League record of 180 passes completed against West Ham. Uh, pass every 30 seconds. Uh, impressive. What are your th- guys' thoughts? I'll, I'll speak for me and Andres. The stats don't mean shit. We didn't score a goal. We didn't win the game. Yeah, completely irrelevant. This this means nothing when you get when you draw points to to West Ham. Agreed. Uh, we actually have a, a a Twitter question from. Our our uh, Roman Roman's Empire Ultra Chelsea Eric, um, so he asked. Sorry, said it could take a year for Chelsea to get loser pool, huh? And uh, to to loser pool and and City's level, will he get a year? 
Also, do we need a player like Conte in a system where our form of defense is keeping possession? Would we be would we be better off with Bar- with Barkley or uh, RLC in that position? I think I think he needs at least sorry needs another maybe two or three transfer windows to get the squad he wants. Um, you know, Conte has to be in the side for us to have a chance at the league this year. I think that's a no brainer, and uh, it, it's just up to sorry to get the best out of him, like we talked about. Um, you know, Barkley and Ruben are just victims of a squad that is so deep in the midfield. Um, and if I think if you took them and put them on any of the other top six sides, they would probably slot into their starting 11s or be one of their first guys off the bench. Um, yeah, you know, it's Chelsea Eric always asks these good questions and he actually typed out the whole format of my script. So good job, <laughs> Chelsea Eric. God bless yeah, I, you. I, I like his questions too. I think that yes, we do play defense by keeping the ball, but the moment we lose the ball is where Conte comes in, uh, and is key. The guy doesn't miss a tackle, and when you have him a little bit more forward than usual, that means we start possession in the final third more often than not. So that's where I still think that Sorry, uh, Conte plays a key role in Sorry's system. Uh, and then his follow-up question is, how long will Sorry take? I, like I said, Sorry's been saying, give me six months before you even see the the nearest thing to like Napoli at their best. I think we're going to surpass Napoli just based on talent alone. And yeah, I, I think. You don't bring five guys in January if he can focus on one main target and then get the rest in the summer when we have Champions League football again, knock on wood. Um, I, I think this Chelsea team is is going to be top 10 in Europe next season. All right, so let's get into the match previews for this upcoming week. So we got two matches this week, one against Liverpool and one against Liverpool. So the first match, uh, Carabao Cup, uh, at and at Anfield, it's pretty tough to gauge what lineup either manager will put out this Wednesday, especially since both teams are probably prioritizing the league and Champions League slash Europa League. Um, oh, you know this is the first round of the Carabao Cup. Tough draw for both of us. What do you guys think um, will happen, and what kind of lineup do we need to see? I think it's fair to say that we're probably going to see two B teams going at it. Um, I don't think we'll pick up the points that we need. I think we'll get bounced um, just based on the depth that Liverpool has. Um, You know, he got, he has guys like Fabinho who he hasn't even integrated into the squad yet. And you got guys like Shakiri as well, who will probably get a run out in this game. Um, When you compare them to who we'll probably have out there, we might have Ampadu playing at the base of midfield. Who knows? We might have Sesk playing there. It's going to be two B teams. Whatever team we decide the field, they're not going to be familiar with Sari's lineup. I think he mentioned something about seeing seven changes in this match. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm just going to say really quickly, I really hope RLC gets a run out. I hope he balls out uh, because RLC is my boy more than Ross Barkley is your boy, Song. Come on, man. <laughs> Jeez. We need to see him succeed, man. It's about it's about fucking yeah, time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna root against him. That that's that that would be dumb of me. I want to see him the, succeed. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is just we have shitty luck to draw Liverpool this early in the League Cup. Like, why didn't we get a Brentford City, a Blackpool, like most teams? Like, this would happen. <laughs> but I, I I agree. We'll see a B team. I think we'll most likely see a midfield three that involves. RLC, Fabregas, and either Barkley or Ampadu. Not sure what Starry's going to be trying to plan on this one. Uh, I think it'll be kind of a, a high-scoring game just because it is two B teams. But I, I think 
just because we might not get the result Wednesday or, or I think this weekend, we will surprise Liverpool. But that's just me. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Why don't, why don't we just get into that Saturday game? Because I mean, this is pretty irrelevant um, in terms of, you know, it's a Carabao Cup. I, I, I just don't think we're... I don't think we're prioritizing it. Uh, and like I said, sorry always prioritizes the league. I think getting back into the Champions League is way more important. So Yeah, I think it's a, it would be a shame to you know exit out of the Carabao Cup in the first round. But, I mean, that was just the, the luck of the draw or the unluck of the draw in our case. So, yeah, I think, I think I'm with you guys prioritizing the, the League Cup match. I mean, the League match. So um, let's get into it. Liverpool, of course. Um, six wins in six matches, four goals scored. Uh, I believe t- only two goals scored 14. again. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, four, fourteen goals. Yeah, fourteen <laughs> goals. Carded. No, fourteen goals scored, and I think only two against. Um, so of those fourteen goals, six in open plays, five offset pieces, one penalty, an own goal, counterattack goal. Um, those stats according to WhoScored.com. Um. They can score in a bunch of different ways. They're, uh, I mean, we knew coming into the season they would be a dynamic, very dangerous team. What does Chelsea need to do to win this match? Zach, you want to start off? Yeah, I mean, we got to worry about that front three. Um, you know, Salah, Firmino, and Mane have probably been the most potent front three that we've seen in the Premier League for a very, very long time. Um, combined, they've scored nine and assisted three. So, I mean, they... They contributed directly to 12 of their 14 goals. So I think if we could just nullify that front line, um, it's going to be absolutely imperative for us to even have a chance at winning this game. We know Klopp is going to try and exploit um, our high defensive line. Um, it's it's a given that Salah is going to play on the right and try and get in behind, uh, in behind Alonso when we lose possession. But uh, it, it's up to him to figure out a way to give them more protection. Um, so, you know, like I said, switching Conte over to that left-hand side, this is the game to do it. Yeah, for me, it's it's two players that we got to focus on, and they're going to sound weird. It's actually Milner and Firmino. And uh, just listen to me. I, I know Milner's a kind of a dark horse choice, but <laughs> the man has benched Fabinho. He's kind of been even benched Henderson. The guy, for some reason, is is – rejuvenated to the max like he's a hot take here but he's probably england's best center midfielder right now and that sounds crazy (laughs) but if we can make sure that those three midfielders especially him don't have a second on the ball to get it to the front three i think that's the first thing because alonso is or well we don't have rudiger so christensen or david luis are going to beat salah in a foot race so it's one of those things that if we can cut the path to that play whether it's through Firmino who's going to have his back to goal most of the time or Milner who might look for that long through ball I think that's the main thing that we're going to need to focus on and and just get the ball back as quickly as possible the moment we lose it yeah cutting off that supply line's crucial I mean we know that Klopp basically builds his teams from the middle outwards um, and he has this ability and this weird knack. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's weird to say that James Milner is the best English midfielder right now, at least in terms of form. But Klopp has this ability to get the best out of very average players, and I think we're seeing it with a lot of Liverpool's guys. I mean, he got Dejan Lovren to the Champions League final, um, but I mean, Dejan Lovren's also the best center back in the world according to him. So, but I mean, just to go <laughs> off of that, you know, clinicality is going to be. Probably Huge. just as important because you know we've been toothless in the last week. We, we just can't score goals, and 
Liverpool's defense is more solid. They have a better keeper. They have Virgil van Dijk, who's seemed to bring some sort of stability to that back line. Um, they brought in Gomez, who's done pretty well so far, even though he was a an unknown commodity prior to the season. But, you know, it's whatever front three we have, whether it's Hazard, Ollie, and whoever's playing on the right, they have to be clinical in front of goal. We got to take our chances and we can't have this very passive look for the perfect shot, basically tippy-tappy dribble the ball onto the net bullshit that we've been seeing the last week. So clinicality is just absolutely crucial. And um, I'm sure Andres was going to touch on something like that. So, um, but yeah, you know, we just got to score goals. It's that simple. You know, Zach, Zach, uh, I mean, the first thing that you mentioned was the front line. Uh, I'm more worried about their midfield. Um, you know, their 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 midfield is always energetic. Klopp is known for his, quote, heavy metal football, as they call it. Um, I think we either need to match their energy in the midfield or, as Andreas talked about when we were discussing N'Golo Conte, uh, try to neutralize their midfield as much as possible by pressing um, N'Golo Conte and whoever is also lined up next to him. Um, I mean, if, if we can match their energy at least – I mean, neutralizing it is going to be tough, but if we can at least match it, uh, we'll have a chance to get the three three points. For sure. Just watch the the Champions League game between them and PSG. PSG's midfield three just took a beating, and, and we have to match that energy from Liverpool because let's put it this way. If PSG had our front three instead of their ridiculous front three, they wouldn't have got made that game so close. So get, the, the key battle is that midfield because we're not – we don't have Neymar and Bob and Cavani who can score blindfolded. So like you said, clinicality is going to be huge. But yeah, the battle in midfield is going to be the biggest take because the, 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 the fullbacks for both Liverpool and Chelsea are going to have a tough day regardless. Mm-hmm. So it, it's that battle in midfield. Who can control the midfield and get it to their front three is going to be the main thing. So yeah, the just fight. Klopp's gegen pressing with our high pressing and and, and yeah that's going to be the key. Yeah, right. I think it, I think it's it, Sam you talk about heavy metal football. Is this game more like uh heavy metal versus classical? Yeah. I mean that's in terms of playing styles. I mean yeah, it's it's, it's a, the difference between a brute force and a beautiful team. I mean heavy metal and uh classical music. That's that's the perfect analogy right there. This is the Falcons versus the Saints. <laughs> that's that's yeah. how this score line is going to look. I don't think it, it's, no one's going to get that joke. Who's listening? Probably. But fair fair I, enough. I, I the way that, I see though. it is, uh, <laughs> instead of playing, thinking of Mourinho, where you have to win one nil, this is going to be a high-scoring game, and uh, it, it might just take one of the keepers having a fantastic day to to be the the final decider on on the score line. Ooh, are you listening, Keppa? Yeah, we, we're, <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's interesting that you mentioned the keepers because. Keppa made a couple of nice saves against West Ham, and we kind of saw what he's about. You know, he's very agile. He's very athletic. Yes, against, agreed. Against Liverpool, he's definitely going to get tested. So mm-hmm. this is a big game for him, probably the biggest game of his life. Um, so, you know, we'll see what Keppa's made of. It's going to be really interesting to see. I'm actually glad that this match did come after um, such a dull performance in West Ham because we all know Sari took him into the locker room and ripped them all a new one. Um, so they're going to come out. Hazard's going to come out, especially looking to impress uh, guys like N'Golo Conte as well, Olivier Giroud. I mean, they all want to redeem themselves. They were awful last game, and you know it, it, this is their chance to to put us back on track. And you know, if Liverpool drop these three points, and we could pick it up, 
um, we'll be that much closer to the title race. All right, boys, let's wrap this up. Um, let's give you, let me, give me your predictions. What's going to be the outcome? And let me get a bold prediction as well. Uh, I'll go first. I think Chelsea 2-1. I think I'm being optimistic, but fuck it. I'm a Chelsea fan, so why not? Um, all good things must come to an end, and I'm talking about Liverpool. Six wins in six. That's their best ever start in the Premier League era. It's going to end eventually. Um, and looking at their schedule, they play Man City next weekend. Um, I, I could totally see us stealing this one from them. Um, and I, I guess my bold prediction, I think Giroud will score. Um, I think he'll manhandle Van Dyke like he did over the international break. Andreas, what do you think? Be a little bit more bold. Um, Klopp seems to struggle against Chelsea. I don't know if it's because we used to park the bus, but he just does. I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring, and I'm going with a 3-2 Chelsea win. Wow. And uh, my bold prediction is actually that one of our midfielders is going to score the final goal. Ooh. I, I don't know if it's uh, Barkley. I don't know if it's Kovacic. I don't know if Loftus-Cheek comes in and, and, and does something. I, I think one of those three guys is is going to kind of work his way into the box and, and finish it off for us. Sam, now you can't say that Danny Drinkwater is going to score a 35-yard screamer in this game, huh? <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that was going to be my prediction, definitely. But um, I think that I'm, I'm going to steal, Andreas, I'm going to steal your goal line. Um, I think Chelsea wins 3-2. Um, and my bold prediction is Firmino loses his other eye. <laughs> <laughs> we put and, the other one the, out. <laughs> to, to touch base on what you guys also said, I to- totally forgot about Drinkwater. I would not be shocked if he has playing time Wednesday. Ooh, that's I, interesting. I, I, mean, for, I forgot about Drinkwater too. So we could... <laughs> that might be my bold prediction, that Drinkwater gets minutes Wednesday. Wow, it's bold. a good mark. It's a good marketing move, isn't it, for the January transfer window? <laughs> maybe he needs maybe, to get his value up. That's for sure. Is anyone listening? Maybe we could get half his value. West Ham, you looking for another center midfielder? Ooh, <laughs> they might. That's a good I'm shout. Sure, I'm sure not? they are. <laughs> All right, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I mean that that pretty much wraps up the pod this week. Andres, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Um, I don't know if this is your chance to to kind of plug in your Twitter handle. Uh, give us an idea of where your podcast is at. I know you guys stopped recording recently, but I mean, we were talking earlier today and you said that you were thinking about bringing it back up. So hopefully you are. Um, but yeah, just uh, give us your Twitter handle and a way people could reach out to you. Yeah, thank you guys again for having me. Uh, for those that enjoyed this episode, you can give me a follow at SSBluesPod. Um, I am trying to bring the recordings back on a weekly basis, hoping Brian will hop, hop back in. But um, yeah, I missed recording. This was a lot of fun. So expect something from us back. And uh, yeah, look forward to to being able to interact with everyone again on a weekly basis. And we'd love to have you back on too. Thanks. You were, yeah, you were great. Yeah, this was, Thanks a lot. This is honestly, this is honestly good stuff. Hey, um, if you, I, I, I'm, I'm more than willing. You guys just shoot me a text and uh, we can get this going on Mondays. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Sam, always a pleasure, buddy. Um, always. I guess. Uh, I guess this. I guess we'll just wrap things up. So, Chelsea fans, hopefully, three points in the Carabao Cup, on to the next round. Three more points towards the Premier League title run. Um, and until next week, uh, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>